You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and I'm here with my friend Brielle. She is a doula and we met at the postpartum revolution conference last year. Was that already yeah, last year? November. Yeah. What? That's crazy. Um, so kind of introduce yourself. We've, we've talked a little bit before this about how you've, you struggled with mental illness most of your life. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of tell us how that got introduced to you. Did you recognize what it was? Did you have support? Um, honestly, I didn't know till I was in college, but I've probably had depression and anxiety most of my life. Um, I actually had a friend that, um, was in therapy for depression in a ballroom class with me and we started becoming friends and then she's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, (laughs) maybe you should see someone. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's brave of your friend. Maybe you should go see a therapist. And I was like, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm just having a hard time. And she's like, no, seriously, like, just take this test and just see. Or go to, like, one appointment, see how you feel. But I I think you should. And I was like, fine. So I just took the test. And then it was like, yeah, you should. You probably have depression. You should probably come in. And I was like, "Uh, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I started initially going to counseling um, when I was at BYU. Um, and they had free counseling and so I started doing that and that was in 2013 and I started seeing a therapist and then, um, later on that year I had a friend pass away. So that was kind of difficult. Um, that would definitely (laughs) trigger things for sure. Yeah. And it was, that was hard because I also had a chronic illness at that point that was getting really scary really fast. No one really knew what to do. I just had symptoms progressing like every couple weeks to a month, I'd get a new symptom. And the most scary one was when all of a sudden I couldn't walk anymore. Like my leg just, I was ballroom dancing earlier that day. I was fine. It was a little bit shaky, but I thought, you know, maybe it's because I've been practicing so much and, but it was really shaky and I thought that was kind of weird. Um, And then I got home, and so like four hours later, I couldn't even put any weight on my leg, and it was shaking, like convulsing kind of, but it was just my leg and nothing else. So went to the ER, and they were like, yeah, we have no idea. Go make an appointment with a neurologist by, you know. And so dealing with all this stuff, and all of a sudden, I went from ballroom dancing and doing a chemistry major and all this stuff to... I couldn't walk unassisted anymore. I had to use crutches or a cane. And so that was really difficult. And that friend that passed away was like the only person really that checked on me. I feel like a lot of people just kind of left me alone. Um, And it was really lonely. I think they were scared because of how fast things were progressing. But I also felt like you know, I'm still here and I need support. <laughs> so I feel like we, I see that a lot with mental illness is people don't know how to comfort you or mm-hmm. they want to fix it and they know they can't, or it's just people that haven't experienced that. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable for them. And it's almost like they don't mean to avoid you or leave you alone, yeah. but they just, they don't know so what to uncomfortable do. Cause they don't mm-hmm. know what to do. So it was like that. Too, with And I hadn't really shared with anyone that I had any mental illness things, but then I had this physical illness that was presenting and kind of weird. Um, fast forward a little bit, eventually I started being able to walk again, but it was like eight months or something without that I could walk without a cane, but I still had to carry it with me everywhere. I purposely bought a cane that could fold up in my backpack so that if I randomly got stranded on campus and couldn't walk anymore than I had to use a cane. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was hard. Um, but I think, and I thought that was like the hardest thing, but then things got a little harder later. Um, and I feel like people, like you said, people don't really know what to do with mental illness. And so 
and my my health was better, but still not. I looked fine from the outside, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel fine. So I had an invisible illness, and that combined with mental health issues, people started not really taking me seriously anymore. And um, kind of fast forward to... 2014, 2015, um, I had been dating someone and, um, he broke up with me. We had been dating for 10 months, thought about getting married. So I was devastated. Um, but I also didn't realize until later, um, what was happening with that relationship. It was very, very toxic. And I was kind of isolated from all my friends and family. Um, He was extremely abusive. And um, yeah, so um, I didn't realize it till later, but, and it was hard because there was a lot of manipulation. And so anything that kind of raised red flags for me, he kind of just brushed away like I was being too sensitive or mm-hmm. it's not my fault or nothing's ever his fault or, um, and so it was a very emotionally abusive relationship as well as, um, sometimes physically. I didn't realize that till later just cause I never, he never like hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, he never punched or anything, but I mean, yeah. Forceful. <laughs> Yeah, like I got thrown into walls and like, yeah, so, but I just always excused it as, oh, he just was, you know, he got a little carried away. He didn't mean to, Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, if you're the only one ever ending up with bruises, that's a red flag. Yeah. Um, Yes. But I never, you know. It's hard to see it until you're out of it, mm -hmm. though. And I never understood, and there was also... um, there was also sexual abuse, and um, I'm so sorry. So, but I felt crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. But and I was always on edge because, and then I found out later I had PTSD from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and I finally I did try to reach out a little bit to someone, but I didn't say anything about the physical or sexual abuse or anything. I just mentioned something he said to me. And I don't remember what I told her, but I said, hey, he said this to me and it was kind of, but it was after we had broken up, but I thought she was a safe person. And so, but the problem was she knew both of us. Mm -hmm. And so I opened up to her and I said, you know, this is what he said to me. And she just kind of looked at me and she was like, he would never say that. And I was like, but but he did. And she's like, no, I know him. He would never, ever say that. He's probably and manipulated her, too. The The thing was, he's very different around yeah. everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a facade. Yeah. He's very different when you're alone with him and when it's just the two of you. And at first it wasn't, and that's why I even stayed initially, because he didn't start out as mean and abusive. But mm-hmm. he's very charming, and he can talk his way out of pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So when I told her, she's like, there's no way he ever said that. You're just being bitter that he broke up with you. Wow. So she was telling me that I was making things up because I was bitter. Uh, So then I never told anyone and kept getting worse. And I didn't realize I was having anxiety attacks and panic attacks. I just knew that I just figured my depression was getting worse. So... um, And with my chronic illness, I had horrible, horrible migraines that would last for days. And uh, so my neurologist was trying some antidepressants that help prevent migraines. And then they all had these psycho side effects. I don't react well to some medication. And so I was dealing with that while trying to finish my chemistry degree. And I couldn't really think anymore. And... Um, part of that too was I had an undiagnosed concussion, but that's a whole separate story. (laughs) Um, and, but I started 
feeling super alone again. And I did have my, a couple friends that knew that I had depression and the one that originally told me, you know, you should go maybe see someone. And so she knew, she knew that I was struggling, but I never told her what happened. Um, and I never, I never shared it with anyone because I was scared that either, I don't, I, I just was scared. Yeah. I, I, I thought people wouldn't believe me and especially cause a lot of people knew him. And so I figured it was just going to happen again and people would blame me and yeah. So, but I was trying to finish my classes and people just started kind of getting more irritated with me. They weren't as patient anymore. Um, I remember my mom even telling me, why are you acting so weird? And like, she didn't mean it like rude. She just was like, what happened? Like, what's wrong? And cause she knew something was wrong, but I didn't tell her. Um, I was like, nothing, I'm fine, you know? And I don't wanna talk about this with you. And, um, but people just, you know, I, because of my chronic illness, I had worked with the Accessibility Center at BYU and they said I had, you know, I could take extra time on assignments. And so my professors were working with me, but my lab mates and friends in my classes and chemistry is like a really small group of people. There's like 14 of you. <laughs> and so um, I, people started getting irritated with me and thinking I was just making excuses and no one knew the battle that I was facing inside and how crazy and shattered my life was and how I was hiding all of that. And so, you know, when I would ask for help on things, they'd be like, do it yourself or, or since some, some people wouldn't, but other people were like, oh my gosh, like why you didn't take that test? And are you just like, just study for the test? And I was like, I am studying. <laughs> like. I have, like, I can't see right now. Yeah. I can't read. I can't see very well. And they're like, whatever, you're just making excuses. And so that was really hurtful that, like, no one believed anything that I was saying. Um, yeah. <laughs> so now where you're at with, so you got married. Mm-hmm. And does your, is your husband know that, does he understand mental illness? Yeah. Does he support you in that I know a lot of the um, moms and the women out there don't have that funny story actually um <laughs> I was after it was actually I found out I had PTSD right after I met my husband mm -hmm. we had gone on one date and um or two I think we had gone on two dates and I finally let something slip on accident to my therapist and he like sat straight up in his chair and I was like, oh, it's like not a big deal. And he's like, what, what, <laughs> wait, what did you say? And so, and I don't remember what I told him, um, but it was something with my ex. And he was like, okay, the reason your depression isn't getting better is because it's not depression. That is post-traumatic stress disorder. And you need to see a trauma therapist like yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, whatever. Okay. So, um, and I was terrified of dating or anything because of my last relationship terrified of everything. So I went and started seeing a trauma therapist, but, um, I found out a couple months ago that she actually didn't do the trauma therapy correctly. <laughs> so it was re-triggering everything, which some of that is normal in trauma therapy. You're going to get triggered. Um, it's just part of trauma therapy, mm -hmm. unfortunately, but the way she was doing it wasn't helpful and it wasn't done correctly. So while I was seeing her, she actually, they have you take like surveys to see how you're doing. And she sat me down one day when I came in and she said, okay, um, I'm gonna admit you to the hospital. And that was a really big shock to me because I had considered suicide at one point. Mm -hmm. um, I never got super far though, I actually had a friend that I trusted that I opened up to a little bit because he has PTSD or had PTSD. And so I was like, I'm having a really hard time with mental health stuff. I need you to take my pills because that's like the one way that I keep thinking of. So I need you to take my pills. And if I ever need one of them, I'll come get one from you, but I need you to keep them safe. And he was like, done, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I had gotten a little bit better to where I just, I was miserable. I didn't know, I didn't want to die, but I also didn't want my life to continue the way it was. Mm -hmm. And so, but my scores on that test were so high and that's a bad thing. <laughs> they, she said they treat anyone above a 10 for depression and mental illness. And I was in the low to mid thirties, like four weeks in a row. And so she was scared that I was going to be non-functional soon with my depression. And I already was kind of non-functional some days. And, but she thought it was going to be like totally non-functional. Yeah. So she admitted me to the psych ward basically at the hospital and I didn't want to go. <laughs> and, um, but I did. And I had time to like tell people that that's where I was going to go. She actually called my parents for me. And that was a big shock to them <laughs> because I never told them. I mean, they knew I had depression, but they didn't know it was that bad. And they didn't know. I just didn't tell people. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, it was August. So I went on the first date with my husband in April, at the end of April. And so we had been talking and stuff. And he knew that I was kind of struggling and that I had mental illness stuff. And I mean... <laughs> I thought everyone always left me anyway, and so everyone abandoned me. Everyone left me anyway. So on our fourth date, I was like, by the way, <laughs> um, I have depression, anxiety, and PTSD. So there you go. And he, yeah, and he's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, oh, our friend set, that set us up. Uh, our friend said that you also have, like, a chronic illness. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's that too. So... <laughs> here you go. Here's all this stuff. I'll never hear from you again. Bye. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and he texted me the next day and he's like, do you want to go see a movie? And I was like, what the freak? Like, that's a good man. <laughs> I just gave you all the ammo you would ever need to say that I'm psycho and you still want to be friends. Like, okay, whatever. Um, and I figured I already knew in August, I already knew he was interested, but I was not. <laughs> in a place where I thought dating was a good thing because uh, I was too scared that they seem nice, right? They seem nice at first and then they change and then you get hurt. And so I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. But I told him, and I don't really know why, I just knew he was a friend and I was like, whatever, at least we're friends. If nothing ever comes of it, I don't really care. <laughs> but I told him, I was like, by the way, I have to go to the hospital, like the psych ward. So if you can't get a hold of me for a few days, that's why. And he's like, well, can I come visit you? And I was like, I don't know, I guess. I don't care. Like, here's the code to get in. Yeah. So my roommate in the psych ward, you know, he actually did come to visit me. And she's like, wait, who's that guy? And I was like, oh, this kid that I've been on a few dates with. And she's like, okay, wait, hold on. This guy came and visited you in a psych ward. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you keep him. You keep him. And I was like, no, that's not, No. <laughs> And then we ended up getting married. But um, <laughs> <laughs> And how long have you been married now? Uh, three years in May. So, but yeah, he, I mean, obviously it freaked him out that I told him I was going to the psych ward. And he, he didn't tell me this till we were married. <laughs> um, but he's, he's really the only person besides therapists that actually know, he actually knows what happened. Yeah. Um, I have friends that know bits and pieces, but they don't know everything that happened. And I figured that was a conversation we needed to have before we got married because my PTSD was going to affect our marriage and it still does. Yeah. Um, and it's been hard, but he, he's very supportive. I think it helped that his whole family, his whole family has anxiety, like super bad. Um, he also has anxiety. And so he understands somewhat mm -hmm. um when he started when he um had depression for a little bit though he didn't think he did and I was like hey we need to have you go see someone like, I know what that looks like yeah so. <laughs> and but then he was doing what I would do and I'm like no I'm fine it's fine you know because I can't you can't always see it and so but yeah he is very supportive even though it's hard uh we just have to have discussions about it sometimes and we're keep in mind where I'm at and, you know, whether, because I'm still in therapy right now, um, but I'm doing a different trauma therapy and it's actually helping. Good. And um, 
it's actually last change that's lasting. Whereas before it was kind of just a Band-Aid and yeah. it kind of helped me get through. But I finally found one that's actually helping and sticking. And so that's really, really nice. That's so good. <laughs> um, I think just keeping an open communication. And I have a couple of friends that I can call if I'm having a super bad day. And um, I even have a close friend, the one that initially told me <laughs> that I probably had depression. Um, and she still struggles with mental health stuff too, but we can just call each other. And even if we don't answer, we just know, you know, that they'll call us back or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And, um, sometimes it's even just, can you tell me I'm a good person? Because I feel like a horrible person and I feel like a failure and I can't do anything right. And I can't even get out of bed. And, (laughs) um, yeah, I think it's helpful to have someone in your network, but because not everyone that I've tried to have in my network has been supportive. Mm-hmm. So just realizing that and seeing that, f- trying to find someone that is supportive, um, even when that's just, they can't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that would be amazing, but. It's just a matter of having a safe space. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like. And I feel like throughout, I mean, all stages of life, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's be real. Your husband can be there for you, but not the same mm-hmm. as another yes. person that's the same gender. Yes. <laughs> and we he knows get it. <laughs> you know? He'll say, go call her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, or I'll yeah. just say, you don't understand. She understands it. Yeah. And he's they like, get it. yeah. Um, so what led you to the doula thing? Because uh, so our listeners know... You don't have any children. I don't have any I don't know if you've tried or if you have a desire. We have not. We have not tried yet. We Um, took five years, so I... I um, So kind of tell us what led you to that. What... Because most of the time, doulas are moms. Yes. You know? So... So I kind of love this. Yeah. Initially, I mean, I've always been fascinated by birth like most other doulas and whatever. I, I was kind of that weird kid that always loved pregnant people. And I mean... A lot of people like babies, but I loved babies and um, always loved to hear birth stories, even as a teenager. And people just thought I was super weird. <laughs> and I would watch all the shows on TLC and Baby Special Delivery and all those shows, and I loved them. Um, and actually, when I was 17, my mom came out and I was working on homework. And my stepdad was super excited and he's like, are you going to tell her? And my mom's like, no. (laughs) And they went to go because they were leaving. And I was like, tell me what? And she's like, nothing. And I was like, are you pregnant? She's like, why would you guess that out of anything you could guess? Why would you (laughs) guess that? And I was like, you are. And she's like, I don't know yet. The pregnancy test was super old. That's why we're going to the store. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Turns out my mom was pregnant and they had tried for like seven years. Oh my gosh. Uh, her and my stepdad, and they were just told it was never going to happen. So they gave up. And then, surprise baby, <laughs> um, she was 38. Wow. And it had been 14 years between pregnancies. So I was almost 18 when she had my brother, and I actually got to go to all the appointments, like not all of them, but a lot of the appointments with her. Uh, she couldn't drive from the middle of her pregnancy to the end. She actually got in a car accident. because the baby was so far into her back that it made her pass out while she was driving. Just that slight um, recline. So the doctor told her she couldn't drive. Uh, So I drove her to all her appointments, and I wanted to be an OBGYN for a super long time. And I still did until, like, my junior year in college when my friend died, and then I decided I didn't want to go. I don't handle death well, and I don't think medical school is a good (laughs) option for me. Um. And so I was there at my mom's birth with my half-brother. And I felt bad because I couldn't do anything to help. Um, But she was in pain. And my mom has a really high pain tolerance. And so for her to, like, it made me really not. (laughs) Before I thought I never wanted an epidural or anything like that because I hated needles. And I was like, whatever, I could do it. And then I watched my mom labor, and I was like, mm, maybe an epidural's not so bad. <laughs> but it was hard because I I didn't really like her labor um, with him. And she didn't either, and I have permission from her to share bits and pieces. But um, 
she was basically like by herself the whole time. Her water broke. Uh, she had had a C-section with me, emergency C-section. And then my, my other brother that's just younger than me, she had a VBAC with him. And it was the same doctor that delivered all of us that she went to with my half brother. And he was like, if your water, you know, if, or if you go into labor before your scheduled C-section, you're totally okay to try a VBAC and that's okay. And her doctor was very supportive of a VBAC and all that. And so my mom, I wasn't mad at her doctor and like, she wasn't mad at her doctor. She just was mad at how things kind of, or irritated things, how things turned out. And she, um, she had worked all day and then her water broke. And then at like almost 11 PM. So (laughs) then we go to the hospital and Um, there were two beds in the room and my stepdad actually was asleep the entire time in the other hospital bed. (laughs) So, and I didn't know this, like I, I didn't personally want that for when I have kids, but I thought it didn't bother her. Turns out it did. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Um, but she's like, but you can't say anything. And I was like, why not? (laughs) Um, but she also was like, I don't think he meant to, you know, but he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, he also thought I was having a C-section, so we didn't anticipate that my labor was going to be like this. So she ended up laboring all night long, and the nurse actually told her she couldn't have any pain medication. What? Yeah, because she was scheduled for a C-section in the morning. So oh, my gosh. She had to... And, I tried, but I was 17. I also didn't know anything. (laughs) So I tried talking to her, but my mom, you know, didn't want anyone to touch her, didn't want to talk to anyone. And I don't blame her. I always happened to talk to her during a contraction too. So that was my bad. But (laughs) now you know. Yeah, now I know. Um, But then her doctor came in in the morning and he did give her the option. Uh, He did say, you can still try for a VBAC. Um, but she was so tired from laboring all night. They did give her something. She doesn't remember what it was. I think it was maybe morphine or something, Mm -hmm. but she could only fall asleep between contractions and they were, all the the contractions were a minute apart. So she didn't really sleep. So she was so tired that she's like, I can't even make this decision. Yeah. Um, cause the doctor gave her all her options and she just told my stepdad, I need your help in making this decision. And he said, go with the statistics, do the C-section. But she was kind of mad because she found when they pulled him out uh, via C-section, he had a cone head and was already pretty already far into the way. birth canal. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so so um, no wonder that makes you want to be a doula. Did you know, when did you learn what a doula was? Uh, last year. Oh, cool. February. I had no idea what a doula was and I wish I would have known earlier. Yeah. Um, I actually had a friend from high school that got tagged on Facebook and they were like, Oh, I'm so grateful that my doula was there at my birth. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> like, I want it on so this. I messaged her <laughs> and I learned all about it. And then I was like, awesome. And I just missed the training by a week. And I was so mad. And actually I think it was only a few days. It wasn't even a week. Oh, and man. so I had to wait till May to get trained. Um, but it was something I really wanted to do. So number one, I've always been fascinated by birth and then my mom's birth experience. But the biggest thing I think that made me want to be a doula is my own experiences with OBGYNs. Um, because I have been sexually abused, uh, OBGYN visits are horrible. They're re-traumatizing and they're just horrible. Um, and before... I didn't really tell my providers um, because it was hard to talk about. And, but they, I didn't really have a provider that was listening to me either when I was like, when I went in for pap smears and stuff. And I was like, this is horrible. This is really painful. And you lied to me. You told me it wouldn't be painful. And the doctor just said, well, it's really not that bad. So... So thank you. No. Yeah. And I had, I had a lot of doctors tell me that. And I just was kind of done. I now have a provider that's very supportive. Um, 
I basically cry every time I'm in his office and he just lets me cry Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, he understands, but he's the first person that actually listened and didn't just tell me, well, it's really not that painful just, or bear down. You're fine. Um, Because, and that was horrible. And I actually, um, I have a condition called vaginismus. And so it makes it so that you're super, super tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I had that doctor and he was the first doctor. My husband, we, uh, we were already married and uh, my husband was in the appointment with me and the doctor was like, I know you're really nervous because of your past. Is it okay if I do a vaginal exam though? I can't help you with the pain until I know what's going on. Um, and I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> Just please be careful because <laughs> it hurts. Um, and then he told me, oh, by the way, <laughs> this isn't going to get better. And yes, it's extremely painful. Um, and whoever told you that it's not that painful and to just get over it and to deal with it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up needing surgery. So, <laughs> oh, um, yikes. But that combined with um, my trauma, my PTSD, I, I didn't want anyone else to go through what I've been through. And even, I mean, it's hard enough to go through the event itself, um, but to have it re-triggered over and over and over. And I was even scared to have kids because of what I went through, because I knew birth is... <laughs> There's not really boundaries, people, um, or so I thought. (laughs) And I just figured I have to be at a point where I'm okay with my birth triggering everything and I will never enjoy my birth experiences. That's kind of how I thought that my life was going to go. That once we decided to have kids, it was something that I would have to suffer through Mm -hmm. the whole pregnancy and then suffer through the birth. And I just thought it was going to be a horrible experience. Whereas before my trauma happened, I really wanted to have kids and I was really excited. And, but after the trauma, I just couldn't see how it could be a good thing Mm -hmm. and not traumatic. And, but then as I learned more about doulas and being a doula, I learned that birth doesn't have to be traumatic. Um, It still can, things can happen. Uh, Birth is very unpredictable, but Um, birth can also be incredibly healing Mm -hmm. and that's what I wanted (laughs) and for me um, when we get to that point and then also I wanted that for other people I didn't want anyone else to have to go through what I've been through with doctors and having doctors tell them that they're not right or that or not really caring that they have a previous history of sexual abuse or sexual trauma Mm -hmm. um I think it's important if someone has trauma like that to tell your provider. Um, And that's on a case-by-case basis, obviously, and only if you feel comfortable. But it changed how my appointments went when my provider knew. And if you find a good provider, they're going to listen and understand. And um, my doctor waits till I'm ready. That's amazing. he listened he it takes sometimes it takes a while and he just sits there and waits and he says I'm so sorry that that happened to you and I know that this is still hard for you and that's okay and he just kind of lets it be there um which has been very helpful but I want I want other people to know that they don't have to suffer through their pregnancies with at least the trauma and the PTSD parts And even if you've previously had a traumatic experience with birth, you can't, it, that doesn't mean your next birth is going to be traumatic. Mm -hmm. And you can also heal a lot from your previous birth experience before your next delivery. Yeah. I I wish, I wish that I would have even known what a doula was when I had my son, (laughs) but I think it's incredible, um, to have someone like an advocate like you for the women out there that have been sexually abused that are afraid to talk about it, that, that you could be the advocate for them and that you could be the doula that 
to me, I feel like a doula is is an advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's someone that can speak on behalf of you if you're not comfortable with it, or you know, is able to to be the unbiased person in the yeah. room, right? Like mm-hmm. the yeah, and I think. I think it's incredible that you're willing to be open about your, you know, your abuse and your trauma and because there's a lot of women out there that have experienced that, that don't realize until they're in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just did a podcast with someone a few weeks ago about that same thing, about that she couldn't even go to the doctor because she didn't want to remember everything again. And so to have a doula that's experienced that, that, that wants that, and even just your history of talking about how your um, lab mates and your friends and other people that didn't want to understand you or listen to your story or believe you um, with your illness and your depression, I mean, it's no wonder that you're a doula, that you're giving a voice to people that don't feel like they have a voice or that don't know it's their prerogative to speak up. Yeah. You know, so it's no wonder that you are stepping up and showing up for other women in ways that people have, have let you down and failed you. Yeah. So it's it's no wonder that that's a passion for you because that's incredible that you're taking that kind of trauma and turning it around and making it something positive and yeah. making it something where you're showing up for other women. And, you know, even though you don't have children, I believe the most trauma that comes from childbirth is from all the things that you've experienced. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if I ever, and I obviously can't have any more children, but if I did, and everyone that I know that's experienced that kind of trauma, I would send to you. Because you, you guys can't see her, but and you're not with her, but her energy, and, and even when I met you, is just so peaceful and kind and accepting and... You are who I would want on my side because I feel like you would fight for me and you would take a second to breathe and look at me and make sure that I'm okay. Not just, I'm in here, let's get this done. It's, Mm -hmm. are you okay? I'm with you. And I feel that from you and I always have since that day that we met at the the conference. So um, I don't mean to take the time, but I just, I want you to know that this whole time you're sharing your story, I'm like, of course you're a doula. You get to give voice and heart and empathy and compassion to women when you're in the heat of it and you're trying to get that baby out of your body. You need someone that's going to be exactly how you are and to show up the way that you do. So um, how can our listeners get a hold of you if they're if they're looking to interview you as a doula and what areas Um, do you serve in Utah? um, Right now I serve Utah County and Salt Lake Counties, Um, Utah. Yeah. Utah and Salt Lake counties. And um, my Instagram is the calming doula. Which I love. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> people always tell me that I have a calming presence. Um, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram and also on my website at thecalmingdoula.com. Okay. Um, and the interesting thing is so doulas are different than midwives. Um, doulas don't do anything medical. So just because you hire a doula doesn't mean that's your birth team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you also need a midwife or a doctor, a medical personnel there. Um, but so I don't do anything medical, but a doula, um, Dona International, it's an organization that trains doulas, uh, doulas of North America, but now they're international. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Dona defines a doula as a trained professional who provides continuous physical, emotional, and informational support to a mother before, during, and shortly after childbirth to help her achieve the healthiest, most satisfying experience possible. I love that. Like, who doesn't want that, right? (laughs) Yeah. So a doula is there. Doulas, Doulas don't fight your doctor or your midwife. They're not there to cause drama in the hospital or wherever you decide to give birth, doulas are there for who, wherever you want to birth. Some people want to give birth at home. That's awesome. Some people want to give birth at a hospital and all the drugs. <laughs> and doulas aren't only for people that want unmedicated births. Doulas can be for any type of birth. They can help even when you have an epidural. And just 
a good doula is one that will support you in whatever decisions that you want with your birth, Mm -hmm. regardless of their own opinions for what they would do for their own births. Um, They just hold space for you in whatever decisions. And if you have questions about certain things about birth, your doula can help you navigate that and give you sources on either both sides or an unbiased opinion or on and help you do research so that you can make informed decisions yourselves. And the doula is supposed to work with your partner. If you have a partner, some people don't. Um, But if you do have a partner, um, the doula doesn't fight your partner (laughs) either. They don't take the place of your partner. It's actually beneficial to have your partner and a doula. A lot of partners wish that they had a doula because they don't know things about childbirth and they don't know the different intricacies and whatever and what could be helpful. So if you have a doula there that can kind of coach your partner, if your partner wants to be involved, if you and your partner want to be super involved, the doula can help coach your partner on how to be really involved and how to do counter pressure and how to do, and some, some counter pressure techniques and some birthing positions and positions that are helpful are actually more beneficial with two people. Hmm. Uh, You can snuggle into your partner and slow dance while your doula is doing counter pressure on your back. And, um, yeah, and your doula is there to be an advocate for you um, and to tell, they don't necessarily talk to the doctor for you. Um, That's not my place to do, Um, but it's something that if your doctor comes in and presents something, if you're starting to get nervous or you need a second to think about it, the doula can kind of watch your body language and say, hey, do you need a second Mm -hmm. to talk about this with your partner? Do you guys need a second? We can all go out of the room. Or do you have any other questions for your provider Mm -hmm. about whatever procedure they're wanting to do or do you want to talk about it? And I think it's also important for people, doulas help with kind of your birth preferences (laughs) and Also preparing you, making you, having those hard conversations with you and preparing you for, okay, what's our plan if I have to have a C-section? Even though that's not what I want at all, Mm -hmm. what's the plan for if we have to do a C-section? What's the plan if um, I'm doing a home birth and I have to be transferred to the hospital? What's that plan? And a doula can help you figure all of that out and help you be comfortable I love that so much. I'm sitting here like, I wish. So all of you moms out there, local to Utah, Utah County, um, we are going to post her information and make sure you know how to get a hold of her. Um, And anyone that's not in that area, I encourage you to look into doulas, interview a doula, find the one that's right for you, Um, especially if there's trauma. I feel like you cannot go wrong in having someone that's by your side, that's non-biased, but that's your advocate. I think that's just, it's beautiful. The way that you just explained it and just the shift in your energy when you talk about it, it's your passion. Yeah. I feel like it's your purpose. Yeah, I love it. And even the people, I've had a few clients so far and I have, I'm on call for one right now. (laughs) um, I've had a couple clients so far and they have loved having a doula. And my first client even told me, I don't know what I would have done without you and I felt like I mean she gave birth in a hospital with an epidural and you know but she's like I couldn't have done it without you and I was like oh cool (laughs) (laughs) but I also held space for her and I think that's what she needed um and that's one thing too is yes I care so much about people that have had sexual trauma and been sexually abused and or sexually assaulted and unfortunately even in Utah one in four women have experienced some kind of sexual trauma. So it's becoming extremely prevalent and people don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand how that trauma can affect birth. Um, And that's something that I will never make my clients tell me if they've had issues. But they, people can know that I'm a safe person to talk to about that if they want to open up about Mm -hmm. it, but they don't ever have to tell me anything they don't want to tell me. That's not on like an intake questionnaire or anything like, um, I'm just a safe person to open up to and I can hold space. And I've had experience with depression and anxiety and PTSD and 
panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And I know how to deal with those and I can help you. We can figure out the best ways to ground you so that if you start having a panic attack in labor, we can help ground you Mm -hmm. and bring you back to the present moment. And I think it's just really important to plan for birth, the unexpected things in birth and having someone there that even when things don't go the way that you were planning can sit there and say, I'm sorry that this happened. Um, Also, my job as a doula is to be a witness to your experience, whatever your experience is, whether it's a positive, amazing experience or whether it was a horrible experience and your birth was not good. I'm there to be a witness to you. And part part of healing from trauma, what can be hard sometimes is we don't wanna let go because if we let go, no one remembers. Mm-hmm. Um, if we let go of that hard thing that happened, then we don't have a reason or an excuse to have a hard day or to have your PTSD flare up. If you let go of it, you don't have an excuse for that to happen, but you do. Um, you can let go of it and it can still have been a hard experience. And that's what I do as a doula is in the postpartum appointments, I process your birth experience with you, however you felt about it, even if it's a bad experience. My second client actually was a birth center client, and I have permission to say this. Uh, she was a birth center client, and everything was going phenomenally. And she was progressing really well. She was handling contractions really, really well. Um, and it was amazing to watch and to be a part of that. Unfortunately, they found out when she was pushing that the baby was breech. And the baby was bum presentation. And so they didn't know. Um, and I transferred her to the hospital in the backseat of my car. <laughs> and, um, that was a long ride. No, it was actually really close. Okay. We, were, we were super close to the hospital. Don't worry. <laughs> it was super close. It took longer to get everything and her in the car than it did for us to get to the hospital. Okay. So, And she ended up having a C-section, and she was not happy with that outcome. That's not what she wanted. And I remember her telling us when we, when we went out and asked if they wanted to talk about the decision. And we came back in, and she started crying. And she said, I feel like I failed. Mm-hmm. And... We were like, no, you didn't fail, you know. Just because you have a C-section doesn't mean that you failed to give birth. You're still giving birth. Mm -hmm. It's still, that's a valid birth story, you know. Um, And anyway, even if it doesn't go the way you want, I know that people feel like they fail. But you don't fail, and that can get better. And as a doula, I'm supposed to help process things with you. I'm not a therapist, so there's things that I can't do, right? Um, but I can sit there and I can listen to your story and how you tell me, and this client was upset that that's what happened. And she was like, well, it's fine because like I'm healthy and my baby's healthy. And I'm like, well, yes, you can be grateful for that. Cause she's like, I should just be grateful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but you can also still be mad and mm-hmm. upset that that's what, and sad that that's what happened. And I think it really helped for me to validate that, yes, it was still hard. Instead of just saying, well, you should just be grateful because you guys are healthy. Mm -hmm. To validate her feelings and say, yeah, that was not what you wanted. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm there so that if it is still hard for them to process and they need extra help, that I can refer them. I can help them find a therapist that's good for them and just kind of anything else that they need, Mm -hmm. you know? That's amazing. And to hold space. I don't know. I'm there. Basically, I'm there. And especially after you have the baby um, for your postpartum visit, I'm there to be a witness to your birth experience. I am there to let you know that whatever happens, I'm not going to forget your experience and that you will be heard. I'm someone that you're going to be seen. You're going to be heard. And you're not going to be dismissed or forgotten. I love that so, so, so much. And I like, I can just, I know that, you know, like you give off that energy, you give off that strength of, I am with you in this. So um, thank you so much 
for sharing your story with us. Um, I heard you. I feel you. I'm so grateful that I know you um, and that I can now share your information with my friends. Um, yeah, I just, I can't even tell you how much trauma so many of the women that I know have experienced and how helpful it will be for them to have someone like you. So thecalmingdoula.com mm-hmm. and on Instagram. Um, I would encourage all of you moms out there to find that connection and to find a safe space and to talk about things and process things like you said. So thank you again. You're welcome. I appreciate you taking the time to come and chat and be so open and vulnerable about a topic that's hard to talk about. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And when you go, if you want and you're if you want to find a doula, um, you can find you can do searches in your area. Um, there's a bunch of different organizations that train doulas, but Dona is the one that I'm trained through. And Dona actually has um a list of providers you can search for a doula in your area they're only the certified doulas though and i'm currently working towards certification <laughs> so there are some doulas that are not listed on there that aren't certified yet but you can you can work as a doula as soon as you're trained the certification is just kind of an extra education step um and so donut actually has a database where you can look up doulas in your area um the utah doula association also has a database there's a whole bunch of resources And even if you're not in Utah, you can look up doulas. And I suggest that you actually contact the doulas and meet with them. Most doulas do free consultations so that you can sit down with them and see if you're a good fit. And also most doulas, I mean, yes, we want to make money because this is our job. But most doulas that I know will not take you on as a client if they feel like you're not a good fit for them. They want you to find someone that you fit really well with. So Even if I'm not a good doula for you, even if I'm not a good match, I can help you find someone that is because I do know a lot of doulas in Utah. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.